This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I'm going to be turning to the book of Lamentations. If you'd like to go there, book of Lamentations, it's in the Old Testament right after the book of Jeremiah because the uh, author of Lamentations is also Jeremiah. And Jeremiah the prophet was a prophet that actually prophesied about the coming of the Babylonian captivity of Israel, which was a seven-year captivity, where the uh, people of God had sinned and there was judgment upon the land and God put them into captivity for 70 years and then they were released from captivity. And after that, Jeremiah writes the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is actually written about what happened with this situation with Babylon, the captivity. And I want to uh, use just a portion of that scripture. It's up on your screen now, Lamentation 3.21. And uh, the word lamentations, or lament, means a uh, passionate feeling about something that's wrong. It's a lament. It's a lamentation. It's a, it's a passionate feeling or a grief that can be revealed through prayer or crying or crying out to God or in poetry or writing like here in Lamentations. The prophet is, is exposing his uh, grievous spirit because of the circumstance through the writing of the book of Lamentations. But it can be exposed many ways in our life through prayer and other things that we do. And even singing as we sing songs, some of those would be uh, a passionate feeling about what we would like to see happen in our life. In Lamentations chapter 3, Verse 21 through 23, I'm going to actually read from verse 19 because I want you to get a little bit of a context here. And I want you to listen to the words. And of course, we're talking about hope. My, my subject today is keeping a grip, keeping a grip on hope. There, there's one thing in my life that <clears throat> I don't like. Well, there's, there's a number of things, but uh, I don't like heights. I don't like climbing. I don't even like going up on the ladder to to clear out the gutters, and so I've trained my wife to do that. <laughs> and uh, she's been doing that for 40 years of our marriage. Truth, true. Uh, I, I just don't like heights. But it's a, it's a funny thing that I do. I like watching mountain climbing, especially freelance. No ropes, nothing, just hands rock up the face and I have videos, I own DVDs of rock climbers because the whole time they're climbing, my stomach's in a knot. I can't believe they're doing this. I can't believe that they would. My wife says, what are you doing? I said, be quiet. This is important. They're gonna, they could fall. I mean, I don't know if it's some kind of a emotional high that I get from this or an experience, but I, I lived the rock climbing through them because I would never get more than two feet off the ground to climb that rock. I won't even help my kids when they used to do the thing at Black Butte where you put the you know, things in the, whatever you call the wall that they had that they would bring in for the kids. And you'd have parents showing the kids how to climb up. I would just be yelling at them, over one, over one. No, oh, you fell. Okay, get up, try again. I wouldn't go up the wall. So, a grip, when it comes to climbing, it's all about the grip. I cannot believe 
that they can hang their body off three fingers. I mean, their whole weight is on the grip. When I watch that, I, I'm just dumbfounded. I, I can't believe it. If I didn't watch it, I wouldn't believe it. That you could hang a 150, 200-pound body with your fingers just in a little tiny crevice in a rock and just grip it and then move yourself up and go up the rock. I mean, I can feel, I can just, I'm praying for them that God will help them grip that rock. I even watch some videos just showing falls. I won't go into that. A grip. Keeping a grip on hope is what it's all about. Up the face of that wall, maybe you're afraid of life. Maybe it's the height of life, the challenge of business, the marriage that you're looking at right now that you better get a grip on hope for that marriage, but it might be difficult. Or that kid or that health issue or that depression that haunts you or that shame, guilt thing that you have to get a grip on. You have to, you have to climb. You have to, you have to do it. So my, my message is kind of based on that analogy. I actually was going to show you a one and a half minute little clip of a climber that fell. But I thought it might not be a great Christmas spirit. My wife says, what is with that? It's Christmas. And here's, I said, but it's the spirit of Christmas, you know, that the guy lived. <laughs> I thought it was good. That so much for my personality, you know. Okay, listen to the prophet. Now I'm going to read from verse 19. You're looking at the verse and the words in the verse that I want you to really, really look at is where it says, and remembering, I keep a grip on hope. Now, that's our, that's our text. That's where we're going. I keep a grip on hope. But listen to verse 19. I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I've swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. But there's one thing I remember, and remembering, I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They've created new every morning. How great your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over. He's all I've got left. What words of the writer to say, I remember the trouble. I remember the feeling of being lost. I remember the taste of ashes. I can remember, it was like drinking poison. It was just dead inside. It was, I, I can remember that feeling of being absolutely hitting the bottom. Well, I remember every one of those feelings. There's, there's not one of those that escaped my life. At some point in my life, I remember the trouble. 
I remember the utter lostness. My, my wife bought me a book for Christmas, duh, a book, as if I need another book. I have 6,000 in my library. But she bought me a book about the Jesus movement. And so on Christmas Day, all the kids are opening their presents, and I'm, I'm looking at this book on the Jesus movement, and I'm going through, and I'm going through the index, and I'm finding Lonnie Frisbee and Chuck Gerard and Chuck Smith and Love Song, and I'm looking at all the people that I was there. I was, I was in that book. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in that life right there. And as I'm looking at it, you know, I, I'm being a little overwhelmed with emotion about this. I, why? Because I can remember the feeling of lostness, the, the feeling of emptiness, the feeling of finding someone that really was a real Christian and showed Jesus' love and talked with me in a way that I understood. And out of my lostness came hope. I remember that emotion. I remember hitting the bottom. I can remember life tasting like ashes. I can remember kind of what this guy is writing about. And he says, you got to get a grip on hope. You, you got to climb the wall. You got to get a grip to see something beyond yourself. And, and that's what I, I, I'm hoping to say to you today, that, that you'll walk out of here with a better grip on the wall and, and you'll look at your life. Maybe you've tasted the ashes and lost us and et cetera. But here's my definition of hope. Hope is the confident expectation and firm assurance of things that are unclear, unknown. Things we can't see and we haven't received them. And that's 2016. I hate to bring it up, and I, I try not to every time I speak about my cancer and that journey, but it was such a life-changing experience, such a game-changer for me. It's like Old Testament, New Testament, cross in the middle. It's like old life, new life, cancer in the middle. It's like pivotal. Like I can't see life the way I saw it before I faced it or before I went through it, before I kind of understood that there's unclear, unknown things about my life and my future and that I can't even see. If, there, if there's one word that I would say in a crisis, you better keep a handle on, it's hope. It's hope. And you want to be around people that actually talk about hope. I remember one of my favorite nurses, great Christian gal, she would come in all the time and talk with me and, you know, my midnight to five hours, as I said before, the worst. But she had so much to say to me about hope. And one, one day when she came in, and I was in my fourth treatment and I was looking pretty bad, feeling pretty bad. And she could tell I was kind of depressed and I was kind of going through it. And she came in about two in the morning. And she said, Frank, I want to tell you a story. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm not in the mood to talk right now. I just, she says, no, I'm going to tell you a story. I, you know, when you're hooked up to all this stuff, you can't really argue. <laughs> so she sat down on my bed, got about that close to my face. She says, I want to tell you a story about a man. Three doors down from your door right here. I said, so he's a cancer man. She says, he was a cancer man. I said, what do you mean? 
He had the same cancer you have, went through the same treatment you're going through. He came back to see us just a few months ago, totally cancer-free. He beat the cancer. She says, I'm telling you this story because I want to build something in your heart to see yourself healed beyond the bed today, beyond the machine, beyond the treatment. I want you to see hope that someone has beat this. Someone went through this and they came up the other side. She says, not everybody. But she says, I think you're one of these guys that can come up the other side. So I want you to think about the story. You know, she made me listen and then she made me think. And I noticed in my emotion, in my spirit, there was a sense of hope when she left my room. You know, I hope that could be me. I hope what I can't see, what I, what I hardly, I mean, if you would really press me and say, Frank, you must have been a man in faith and never doubted anything that whole time, that's not true. You must not have felt any fear, not really fear, more sorrow not to see the kids raised and the grandkids and, you know, all that stuff. It's, it's more those things. But when hope comes in, it paints a picture in the heart until faith can get a hold of it. Hope is an artist. Hope paints pictures. Hope whispers words that no one else will whisper to you. Hope will say things that are maybe unclear right now, but they will become clear because you begin to actually see what hope says. Hope tells you things you can't see. Hope opens doors where despair will close the door. Hope is something as important to us as water is to a fish or air is to your lungs. You can't live without it. Hope is that ingredient that makes dreams come to pass. Hope is that thing that will make the the father pushing his son in the, in the uh, souped-up wheelchair for the marathon races that they did around the world so that son could feel the finish line. When you watch the video of that, I cry every single time I watch it. The commitment of this father to run these marathons and push his son who is dying. And, and for the hope of the finish line... They don't care how long it takes. They, they can be hours after everybody else. But people will stay and cheer them on why. Everybody is inspired by anybody who has hope. Anybody. You will grab on to a person with hope and respect them. You will listen to them. You will feel emotion from them. Why? Because hope... Hope that you can break the habit. Hope that you can save your marriage. Hope that you can get through a crisis in your body. Hope that you can turn your business around. Hope that maybe someday the empty feeling you have right now will be removed with a full feeling or a fulfillment or a purpose or something to live for. Even though you, you're kind of living in a, in a low fever kind of a faith element where you don't really feel that much. That can turn around. Hope says you can turn around. And in remembering, I keep a grip on hope. We grip the act of firmly grasping. And I want you to grasp this morning, wherever you are, hope, seize it, 
hold it. Put it right into your spirit. Don't let your mind lie to you. Don't let other people talk to you out of it. Get your, get your arms around it. Grasp it tightly. Why? Because you're going to need it. You're going to need it. You have no idea what you might face in 216. Let's hope it's all good. Some of it might not be. Maybe it's good for you, but it's not good for someone right next to you. Your spouse gets cancer. You know, the only thing worse than getting cancer is for my kid to get cancer. That'd be worse. I can handle it. I have to suffer with them, for them. That would be totally different. A different grace, a different hope, a different grip. You can't let go. You can't let down. can't listen to your mind. You can't look at the darkness. You can't begin to have a pity party. You can't begin to get depressed. You can't, you can't let life in just to shove you down. You have to get a grip and kind of straighten your shoulders and say, you know what? I'm not going to let this happen again. I'm going to hope. I'm going to believe. I'm going to get the, this, this thing in my spirit and I'm not going to let it go. I, I hope in God that things will be different. And that grip right there. Jeremiah is saying, find a grip. The same time you grip hope, let go of the grip you have on the other stuff. Let go of the grip you have on anger, mad at God, mad at life, mad at people. Bitterness, they deserve it, won't forgive them. Hurt, I didn't deserve it, but I got hurt. You have a grip on things, and things get a grip on you. Things get a grip on you. I've had unforgiveness get a grip on me before. I know what it feels like. You wouldn't think I would, but I do. I know what it feels like. You know, in my spirit, I can forgive him because I'm a Bible guy. But it's my emotions that plays havoc with me. I can say, oh, I love them. My spirit says, you better love them. My emotion says, I hate them. Spirit says, forgive them. I have my emotions say, you don't have to. That's right, I don't. Emotions are different than that core of you, but you have to align the emotion to let go of things. Here's a verse you should write down. Isaiah 41 and verse 8. Message translation. I read all kinds of translations. I always come back to Eugene's message Bible. It's just so easy to understand. Isaiah 41, 8. Don't panic. Everyone say it. One more time. You know, panic is what? That emotion that starts coming up and it just grips you. Ever been gripped by panic? I have. I've been gripped by bad news that you don't want it to grip you, but it just starts from your feet and just comes all the way up to your heart. Isaiah said, don't panic. I'm with you. There's no need to fear because I am your God. I'll give you strength. I'll help you. I'll hold you steady. Then I like this in the message. Here it is. And I'll keep a firm grip 
on you. Even when you can't grip God, remember this, Isaiah 41.8, he's got a grip on you. Even when you can't find that faith and that hope to kind of get to where you got to go, just remember, God won't let go. God has a grip on you. God is for you. He'll keep working. Even when your mind goes funny, your emotions go funny, and you say funny things, God doesn't back up and say, well, so much for you. God keeps a grip on you because he's for you. He's for you. Here's another scripture. Romans 15, 13. Oh, may the God of green hope fill you with joy, fill you with peace, so that your believing lives, filled with the life-giving energy of the Holy Spirit, here's our phrase, with brim over, will brim over with hope. Paul's prayer for us is that you'd be so full of hope, it'll just over the edges of your life. It just dumps over. You're just filled to the brim. Even if you can't have the faith that you want, hope, I think, precedes faith. It, it keeps a grip on maybe, maybe he could. I'm going to settle in on this. Hope precedes. Now, Here's, here's four things that I think will help you as you process hope. Number one, hope is our triumph against what? Dark pessimism. Pessimism is what? The tendency to see the worst aspect of things, believing the worst will happen. It's a negative attitude, perspective. It's a tendency to always lean toward it won't happen. It's not going to happen. It never has happened. I'm not going to be disappointed again. I'm not going to hope for that. It's too far beyond my reach. I've reached before and I got burned. You know what? I'm just not going to try another relationship. I'm just not going to uh, try to get into a different job. I'm just not going to try to get closer to God. It just doesn't seem to work out. Pessimism is that tendency to see the worst of life, the worst of yourself, the worst of your future. I'm coming against that today and saying to you, let go of pessimism. The pessimist is a person who has an entrenched, habitual response to everything. You don't have to think about being a pessimist, you are. You don't have to think about a bad response. You just do it. You don't have to think about bad thoughts coming to your mind at nighttime or during the day when you're daydreaming just how bad things are and they're going to get worse and never gets better. It's, a, it's that attitude of a, of a person that has been so entrenched with that. You, you actually can't believe what the Bible says about you, what God wants to say to you because you're so entrenched with this thing. A pessimist is one when he has two choices of two evils, he chooses both. A pessimist is one who feels bad when he feels good for fear he'll feel worse when he feels better. <laughs> Pessimist is never disappointed. They count their troubles and forget their blessings. I don't want to be a pessimist. 
Our hope is to change our attitude toward a biblical optimism. By the way, optimism is a biblical thing. I know it's not the word used, but hope is optimism. A biblical optimism combines, it combines the hope, faith, and the synergy of the scripture into one thing so that you begin to smile through your tears, laugh through your sorrow, look at darkness in the eye and say, it's not going to get me. I can get through this. Add an optimistic hope attitude to your life. A lot of scriptures on that. Jeremiah 29 is one of the best known where it says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. What is that? That's an optimistic attitude where the Lord says to you, hey, Frank, change your attitude. How's that? I have plans for you. Oh, that chance. What kind of plans would you have for me now? I'm a failure. I blew it. Or my life's too spent. Or I can't really get up to the next game changer decision. You know what? I'm just, no, I have plans for you. Well, I don't know if you have plans for me, Lord. I have plans to prosper you. Oh, well, well that's kind of funny. My whole family tree is unprosperous. And so you're going to, well, I have plans for you. I'm not talking about your brother. I have plans for you. I want you to change your attitude. I want you to renew your mind. I want you to forget your mistakes. I want you to forget the tree that you were rooted in before you found me. I want you to see that I have plans for you. Change your pessimism to optimism. What about it? Anybody here ever lean toward being a pessimist? Can I see your hands? If you're sitting next to one, just bump them. How many of you would, would agree with me that optimism would be a better life? I mean, we, we know that, right? I mean, we know that. To have a positive attitude is better than a negative attitude. And it's biblical. It's biblical. Okay. The second point of this amazing, powerful, life-changing message. Hello? That was your time to encourage me, and you missed it. What kind of an optimist are you? If you're an optimist, you would cheer even when I don't speak well. You would go, oh, it's so good. Your wife says, that's not good. Oh, it is so How about this one? Hope is our resilience power. You know, if you have optimism instead of pessimism, you're headed the right direction. If you can find resilience, you're really going to enjoy life a lot more. Job 14 verse 7, it actually is one of my life scriptures at least there is hope, Job 14, 7. At least there is hope. Everyone say, there is hope. For a tree, if it is cut down, it will sprout again 
and its new shoots will not fail. There's hope for a tree. Even if you chop it down, it will grow again and its roots will bring new shoots. There's hope for you, even if you've been chopped down, you've been hacked down, you've been pushed down, you have fallen down, all the down stuff. They said there's hope. Another scripture in Job says, even if the roots of the tree smell the water, just smell the water, it'll grow again. Doesn't have to touch the water, just smell the water. You can grow again just by being in the atmosphere of hope. Faith, God, Holy Spirit. Resilience is what? The ability to become strong and healthy or successful again. Again. After something bad has happened. I see my doctor every three months, six months, nine months. I, I will see her again in January. Dr. Boyle. The last time I saw her, it's not so much about the physical now because I'm kind of on a pace of recovery. I still have some nerve damage in my leg. But that's getting better. Did you notice I'm not sitting in a chair today? You know, so at least, at least that's better. But it's not just healing. I'm working out at the club. I'm, I'm swimming. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. I, I cannot even tell you how depressing it is to get into a pool of water to do gymnastic stuff and all the women are over 140 years of age. <laughs> I cannot even tell you the effect that has upon my manhood, my attitude about living. But we won't go there. She told me, last time I saw Dr. Boyle, she said to me, she says, Frank, you're doing marvelous with your uh, restoration with your body and you're cancer-free. And she says, you know, you have to be cancer-free five years for us to say it's all over. She said, so you're still on a journey. But she said, at this point, there is no cancer in your body, blah, blah, blah. Just most people in your situation have a hard time coming back. I said, talk to me about that for a moment. She says, they can even be totally cancer-free. They can have a lot of life left to live, but they don't have enough resilience in their attitude and their emotions to live life to the full again because they're afraid life will get taken from them. And so they limp through life. They, they guard their life. They, they don't ever get up again. They don't have that spark in their eye. She says, you have that. She says, me and the doctors are really in, encouraged with you. And we know you're a minister and we know you're probably just going to say, well, Jesus did it. She says, but let me ask you, what happened? I said, Jesus did it. Because <laughs> the spark, the resilience, why? Because when something bad happens, this is your, your response to something bad is this. It is now the definition of my life. Bad is my future. Bad is my now. Bad is my future. And bad is what's going to happen to me. And I'm just going to adjust to bad. Resilience is to understand bad can happen, but bad doesn't have to define your life for the rest of your life. Resilience is letting go of the bad. 
I was talking to a wife who was in a bad married situation and, and the marriage was abusive and the, you know, the husband punched her out a lot and, and she left him years ago and she'd been single for 11 years. So I said to her, why don't you remarry? You're young. You're not even 40. I said, you're young. She says, you know, I can't imagine the chance, the risk I would take of marrying another abusive man. I said, you know, the man that was abusive 11 years ago, he's gone. There's a lot of men that are not that way. I said, you could find a man that would love you and your children like you've never been loved before, and you would spend your life with that man. And when you're my age, when you get into your 60s, you'll look back and say, thank God I put the bad behind me and was resilient enough to believe something good could happen to me. And I married this good man who has loved my children, provided for me, and we have had the best life. I said, would you want to miss that? She goes, no, and she's crying, and she's trying to understand what I'm saying, and I'm trying to beg her into what? Resilience of an attitude, a spirit, a perspective that says something good is going to happen to me. That's resilience. Something good is on its way to my life. Instead of just thinking, oh no, it'll be bad. Oh, no, no. They won't hire me. Nope, that business will probably... No, that guy will probably just fake it for a while and act like he's Mr. Jesus when he turns out to be Mr. Lucifer. <laughs> and, of course, that's a problem. If you're going to uh, be resilient, here's two scriptures for you. Psalms 80, verse 5 or Psalms 86, excuse me, Psalms 86, verse 5. In trouble, I will look to the Lord, and he will help me. That's resilience. In trouble, I will look to the Lord, and he will help me. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 10. We don't know what to do. I love this in the message. When we don't know what to do, we're looking to you, oh God. We don't know what to do, but we're looking to you. If you don't know what to do, it's all right. If you don't know how to trust again or totally let everything go, at least, at least look to God. At least ask him for the good things that he has for you. Here's a third point about hope. Hope is our lifting out of the pits. Come on, everybody can say Amen. Nobody likes the pits. I mean, we use the word a lot as a metaphor. You know, you're in the pits, living in the pits. Removing the poor me mentality and the martyr syndrome and remove the quitting talk and get your grip back means to get out of the pit. Psalms 40, verse 2. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and out of the mire. He set my feet on solid ground, steadied me as I walked along. He lifted me. Everyone say, he lifted me. No matter what pit you're in, and there could be as many people as there are in this room, different kinds of pits. You might not think someone's in a pit because they look so good, but they have a different kind of pit. 
a pit that you've never even realized in life that would ever come your way. But their experience in their own pit, everybody has different kinds of holes they dig. Sometimes the devil digs the hole and puts you in. Sometimes you dig the hole and he trips you and you fall in. Sometimes God allows pits in our life so that he can get us out and show his strength and power. And we learn something like Joseph in the pit. There's a lot of lessons in the pit, which is a different message. Here's my word to you. Hope lifts people with little or small expectations to see great and mighty things. Far better is it to dare, believe, lift, hope, lean into, expect good things, mighty things to happen in your life, no matter what age you are. Leave your small ambitions. Come help me save the world. That's what St. Augustine said to a little monk who was baking bread at the monastery. And Augustine said to him, I want you to come help me. And the monk says, I can't. I'm baking bread. And Augustine said, leave your bread baking behind. Leave your small ambitions behind and come, come help me save the world. The monk could not see Augustine's vision of the world, which that's what he says, the world is my parish. Augustine and his writings, amazing leader in the third century, what he did, etc. But here's this monk, someone involved in baking bread, probably delicious bread and good smelling bread. And he was very good at baking bread. He was baking bread for all the other monks. His life was routine in the baking of bread. But along comes someone else to say, why don't you forget the small ambitions for a moment and help me save the world? You know, the monk had to stop, put his bread down and say, how might I do that, St. Augustine? He says, follow me. And they did. He left. Could it be that in 2016 you're baking too much bread? It's an analogy. <laughs> Only those who risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go. Missionary T.S. Eliot. If you are not willing to risk the unusual, you will have to settle for the ordinary. Hmm, I, I don't like that. Right there, I don't like that. Now that would, that would push me out of my boat right there. If you're not willing to risk the unusual, you're doomed to just live the ordinary. I don't want to live the ordinary. I don't want to just bake bread. I'd like to save a world. I'd like to do something significant in my life. I'd like to risk something at some point. I'd like to do something that I would look back on and say, wow, that was a radical decision. But you know what? If I had to do it again, when I left, here to go to Eugene, it was scary. 30 years old, going to plant a church, leaving, had no salary promised, one month salary. It was scary. I mean, I was scared the whole time. First month there, second month there, I'm still not in my stomach. I hope I did the right thing. I had such a good job in Portland. But it turned out. 12 years, the church is thriving. Hundreds of people, new building, new property, 
planting churches, sending missionaries. I mean, we're at the top of our game in Eugene. And the Lord says, go back to Portland. Scary. I tell you what, it was a scary thing to leave Eugene. Everything I had, I invested. Now I'm going to leave everything to go back and work in another man's vineyard, take another man's church, work with elders I didn't raise up with people that don't really even know me anymore and have to risk all the love stuff and the bonding stuff. I mean, it was a scary thing. I remember so well leaving Eugene in the U-Haul truck. I had Bethany, my, my daughter, who's just a young girl at that point. She rode with me to drive the truck back. And I remember leaving Eugene sobbing and her rubbing my arm. Dad, what's wrong? What's wrong? How do you say, okay, this is what life's all about. <laughs> it was scary. It was a risk. But it turned out. It was a better choice, but it was a tough one. Right now, making transition from the lead pastor Shifting to a different job description, giving the church to someone else, letting go of all that that represents, it's scary. It, it, it's a radical decision for me. My wife says, are you sure about this? I said, no, no. I said, I am and I'm not, but I know that I should. I know that I should. Sometimes it takes unusual to break you out of ordinary. Sometimes it takes walking out of the kitchen to look at the world a fresh way and say, wow, you know? Alvie Pearson, who was the man I came to Christ through, center fielder for the Los Angeles Angels, that whole story. I just pulled up Alvie's stuff online here just a few days ago just to see what he's doing. And Alvy is, what, I'm 65, so Alvy's, Alvy's 77. Sold his house, bought a ranch up in the high desert, put $79,000 on a credit card, opened a ranch for five to eight-year-old boys, put everything he had, all their savings plus indebtedness, just to have that one expression before he dies. I thought to myself, that's, that's the same guy that risked everything when the Jesus People Movement started. And same guy who risked everything for me. He's still risking. I had to lean back in my chair and take a breath I don't know if I'm just more emotional nowadays or what, but I seem to cry easier. <laughs> My wife says, you're just too mushy. <laughs> I never used to be that way, you know? But watching Alvy, I'm just thinking, thank God for this man, because all the pictures of all these boys that interview him, the news is interviewing Alvy, why he did this. What... I'm, I'm not saying you sell your house and move to the Mount Hood. But I am saying this. Whatever the Holy Spirit puts in you to do, do it. Whatever the Holy Spirit challenges you to do, maybe you could help with a sex trafficking 
situation. Say, well, what do I do? Volunteer counsel. Help. Maybe you could bake some cookies and take it down to the kids under the bridge that skateboarding. Maybe you could start a small group and just pick the people you want that you want to see healed or whatever. Maybe, maybe 2016 could be the year where you get out of the pit. Okay. Hope, last point, hope is our victory over wrong thinking. Wrong thinking. It, it all starts here. I mean, it really... It, it, when you're thinking wrong, everything goes wrong. It, there's all kinds of research that says a pessimist causes their own problems. A person who thinks wrong actually sets up wrong actions. And you think it's the action coming at you, but the action coming from you, not to you. Do you hear what I just said? So thinking like this, everything's against me. Negative prediction, tendency to make highly negative, pessimistic predictions about your future. Jumping to negative conclusion about people and yourself and Tunnel vision, can't see outside where you are. you in the kitchen, baking the bread, won't go save the world. And then negative thinking patterns. I could say obviously a lot more. Hope in God's word. This is the safest place for you to think right here. So believe what God says about you. I put up a few things on the screen here. The Bible says, I'm a new person, I am free, I am blessed, I am God's work, I am chosen. I have scriptures for those, of course. But that's what the Bible says about you. You're chosen, you're blessed, you're the work of God. Plans are made for you, you're free, you have a great future, God is for you. The devil's against you and life can be hard, but God is for you and prayer works and call on the name of the Lord and believe for mighty things and open up your vision, get out of the kitchen baking bread and look at the world again and start looking at your spirit. Where can you serve? Where can you make a difference? If you can't save everybody, save one person. If you can't serve all the broken people, serve one broken person. Find something where you invest yourself. Can I hear an amen? Okay, stand to your feet. Everybody, say out loud with me. I am a person of hope. Today, I draw the line on pessimism, negative thinking, tunnel vision, and bread baking. I'm going to take the world. Get out of my boat. I'm hoping for better dreams bigger dreams. Lift your hand.